before we push away from something, we need to yield into it. We need to understand it a little bit more. And we believe that if we're practicing this inside of our body physically, then when we leave, it's the same practice when we're in a conversation, when we're, when we're in a life, before we push away from something. Or when we're in a class, even still in the physical mm-hmm. practice, when something is uncomfortable or we don't like it or it's or we don't get it right away, how can we yield into that moment of, of confusion or fear or disappointment or frustration? How can we yield into those moments in class so that when those fears and disappointments and frustrations come out, out of class, we also have that mental practice that we've already practiced in addition to the physical practice that isn't a metaphor that could feel like a metaphor. Welcome to This Thing Called Movement a podcast exploring the medium of movement and looking into how it has the capacity to transform not only our physical bodies, but potentially every other facet of our lives. I'm your host, Marie Janicek, a movement guide here to help people find their own unique and authentic relationship to movement through creativity, curiosity, and self-expression. Join me as I dive into deep conversations with a wide variety of individuals from many different fields and backgrounds. Together, we'll gain insight into their own unique movement experiences, the transformations that resulted, and how movement has affected their lives at large. I hope these recorded conversations will inspire and empower you to find your own unique movement journey in your life, in your own way. For this week's episode, I've brought on Brian and Shayna Byra. I am lucky enough to know Brian and Shayna through my involvement with their dance work in the dance community. And as a dancer couple and choreographic duo and also a married couple, they provided some very unique insights and scope into movement as a medium and how it connects to everything in our lives. Some of the highlights of our conversation were taking a look at how movement changes our relationship to things like connecting, disconnecting, and reconnecting. Uh, We also discussed how obstacles can actually be a really important gift when facilitating a movement practice or even navigating them in life. And then finally, One of the things we discussed as we wrapped up was the importance of finding practices you can commit to and how to flesh out that commitment, how to allow that commitment to build into something much deeper that can offer you much more than you initially anticipated. 
So with that being said, I don't want to hold you guys back from tuning in to some of the really good stuff here. So just go ahead, sit back, relax, and let these words wash over you. I'm Shana Rampen by Raw. I'm Brian Strumple by Raw. And we are co-directing by Raw Movie Philosophy. There's three parts of our company. One is performance, one is teaching, and one is lifestyle. And we use movement philosophy, which is our current movement practice that we're developing in each of these avenues. Uh, so we've been making work together and performing in New York City and around the States, uh, the United States, uh, for the past five, five years now. Um, we met working in a project together in New York City, and we created a duet for the Joe's Pub uh, Dance Now Festival in 2014, um, which was our first collaboration, and it coincidentally won the festival, um, and that was sort of the launching of our collaborator's career. The past two years, we've been, three years, I guess, yeah. we've been focusing on duet work, mm -hmm. and we are still doing that uh, currently. We're working on our latest duet which is the third one in this series that we're creating and uh, let's see what else uh, we're teaching at wayne state oh, university right. this year yeah mm, exciting stuff so um one of my favorite things about movement is how it can connect us to other people and obviously movement has connected both of you and led to like not only a marriage but also like a partnership in so many other ways um so if you guys wouldn't mind actually like sharing both your individual movement journeys like what led you to where you are now and and also kind of elaborating on your journey as a partnership both in work and in life. So I started dancing. Um, I was inspired, I think, by the boy band craze of the 90s. Um, uh, Justin Timberlake and NSYNC and all of that, MTV. Um, I started off doing like hip hop styles on my own. Um, and then I started taking lessons at my hometown studio in Carleton, Michigan, uh, where I'm teaching now, which is wild. Um, and so there I started taking things like ballet and jazz, um, contemporary lyrical forms, um, and doing competition dance. And then I attended Wayne State University, where we are teaching now, also crazy. Um, so I attended Wayne State University, and that's where my choreographic I, uh, desires and uh, desires for like abstract physicality and momentum and release-based forms, I guess, started infiltrating. What I was interested in choreographing. What was it that was sparking? You kind of started touching on it, but if you could expand, expand everything that was starting to like um, interest you and why and how it was connecting. Well, I'll I'll start I'll start the answer with um, I wasn't ever worried about or considering why um, until um, we, we we met and we started un unpacking why it's it's why what I was interested in is potent and why and how we can use it to 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 go deeper into i think what we'll talk about more today mm -hmm. um and so so what so then what, what was i interested in then i guess at the time i was interested in 
physicality and continuous momentum and the excitement and the energy that gets built from seeing a thing move. And so then seeing many things move and then so seeing things move in relation to one another Mm. and without, again, without any understanding or contemplation of the depth of the word relation. Um, I wasn't considering any of that. I was just like, okay, A moves B and it makes C. Um, Simple, like mathematical kind of uh, um, thoughts about it. And then maybe you should go back and then catch us up and then we'll go forward together. Okay. okay. Um, Yeah, I guess I'll I'll start where Ryan left off and then I'll go back and and say how I got to such a place. Um, So when Brian and I met, he was... um, as he just explained, really in a healthy way, fixated on these, the abstraction of cause and effect, hmm. not really realizing the, the personal interpersonal relationships of cause and effect. Even when it is abstract, it tells the kinesthetic narrative. Hmm. And so when we started collaborating, we took that abstraction and started to ask why it matters and study the law of causation, which then brought us not only this, but this helped bring us into this world we're in now, which is studying how we move and why it matters, both abstractly and not abstractly. Mm. Okay, my history. So let's see. I was not inspired by the boy bands of the 90s. I was... <laughs> I was um, in pottery first, actually, was my first art form. And my older sister was actually the dancer of the family. And so it it wasn't really until she went to college that I even took um, the art form of movement and dance more seriously or more personal. Mm. And um, when I did, I was in a classical ballet school. And... Did primarily that until I went to college. And at college, I I initially wanted to be a history teacher, actually. And I I got a scholarship for the dance program. And so that that rerouted my um, my life a little bit. Uh, But I've always, since I was younger, been not one to make goals and more so one to follow signs and follow symbols and follow energy. And so even before I started actually researching that, which really brings us into our work today, looking, reflecting on it, it makes sense uh, how it all happened. I always kind of had something else in mind and then something came up and rerouted me. And I've always followed the reroutes and a lot of the rerouting was disappointment has been disappointment, which we'll also we'll get into. And that has led me to where I am now, which is not disappointment. So following the flow of energy, um, of signs. And so I, I went to college and was a dance major. And when I graduated, I mean, Brian and I met in a project dancing and I was, I was, Dancing, however, there was something, I was always curious as to why it really matters, anything, specifically being a dancer. I didn't feel like I really learned 
what our role is. No one ever told me why it's important, what, what it does for something larger than myself. And so I was on a quest to find that out. And so I went to get certified in law bond movement analysis in Brooklyn. And I also went to seminary school. So this, this year of education was really where I actually started understanding what it means to be a dancer, to be a choreographer. It was actually taking a step away from it and analyzing it from another perspective that started tying things together. So in this year, I did the Laban program and uh, interfaith seminary school side by side and created a shared thesis on it, Mm -hmm. which was in retrospect, really the beginning of what has become what we call movement philosophy, Mm -hmm. which is that research and that contemplation layered inside of this very abstract physical practice that Brian has always carried with him. Wow. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that, like, what what is it that dancers are really doing? Like, what is dance for? Because I started to see that myself in, in my dance and movement journey. When I was trying to pursue a career in it, I felt there was a very strong disassociation between, like, the meaning behind the medium and, and also, like, the the part that dance plays in our society as whole was somehow very lost and i didn't really understand like what the point of was of like putting out work and trying to like get hired by choreographers if it was always just to please more of like the dance industry but it it didn't really seem to be expanding especially in new york um and so it's interesting that mm. you actually had like that very specific question almost almost before that, right? Before you were working. Um, Like, what is it that dancers are really doing? Like, what's the service? And then, well, what what is the medium about? That's like a big one that I don't see people exploring. And and it's one that's interested me really like my whole lifetime is like, what is it for? Like, what does it do? Let's let's get into it. And I assume that's what you guys are doing with movement philosophy. I would love to hear more about like you're now you're together. And so like, where is this movement journey guiding you and what's going on with it? Where we're at now with movement philosophy is really looking at dance practice as life practice. So when we're in the studio leading class, what is most important one of the most important things to us is that our the students aren't looking at it as a metaphor of dances like life. What we're practicing in the studio is life. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple fundamental principles that we have built a lot around. One of them is the the concept of yielding before you push away from something. So we'll, we have physical exercises that we've de- developed in a whole many different ranges. Some of them are phrase work. Some of them are partnering exercises. Some of them are across the floor. Some of them are improvisational prompts. And one of the combining themes is yield and push. So before we push away from something, we need to yield into it. We need to understand it a little bit more. 
And we believe that if we're practicing this inside of our body physically, then when we leave, it's the same practice when we're in a conversation, when we're, when we're in a life, before we push away from something. Or when we're in a class, even still in the physical mm-hmm. practice, when something is uncomfortable or we don't like it or it's or we don't get it right away, how can we yield into that moment of, of confusion or, or, or um, fear or... Um, disappointment or frustration? How can we yield into those moments in class so that when those fears and disappointments and frustrations come out out of class, we also have that mental practice that we've already practiced in addition to the physical practice that isn't a metaphor that could feel like a metaphor. Um, Mm -hmm. Which brings up the concept of durability. We were just talking about this in class this morning, actually, is is how do we become more durable? Yes, of course, as dancers, as performers, we want to be durable, same as as human beings. It's the same practice. And part of the durability is being able to withstand uncomfortability and withstand not exactly knowing what's going on and being able to continue going. Right, to find a comfort in, in that place. Right. So how it can show up in class is if, if we teach in across the floor quite quickly and not everyone knows it really well, how do you do it anyways? How do you get through it? How do you keep your circuitry? Which is another point of reference for the system, which is the circuitry, connecting, disconnecting, and reconnecting. Mm-hmm. And part of all of the exercises is... They're very difficult so that you will disconnect. And we build that into the class. We build in um, a difficulty so that, that that will happen. It's not about doing it right. It's about how what happens when you disconnect. How quickly can you reconnect? How softly can you reconnect? And What do you do while you're waiting for the ability to reconnect? Right. Yeah. And that's where... I mean, it's it's on all levels. On with yourself, if you disconnect from the movement, if you're with a partner, or if you're, uh, we started incorporating a range of tools, balls and sticks and objects that make it even easier to disconnect with. A lot of dancers actually have very poor reflexes and ability to respond. It's very strange. Um, that from a young age we're we're fixating on movement so much, but we're kind of bypassing we're, we're fixating on the shapes of movements mm-hmm. and like the perfection yeah. of it exactly and <laughs> bypassing the life of it. Yeah, and uh, so that's another another element kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, adaptability. This is another huge one. Is how do we adapt to change? How do we adapt to to when something goes unexpected? And again, <laughs> if we can do that in the studio, then I think chances are higher. We'll do that outside if we practice it. We don't practice these things. And then we wonder why we live in the world that we live in. You know, there was, there was this moment today where I, I really realized it was assessment day today for our class. And so I was watching and, and asking myself, what am I assessing them on? Actually, you know, is, is it... Is it the phrase? Is it how good they're... And no, it's... What I was realizing is their uncomfortability with something that they don't know creates a barrier between them and that thing. 
whether it's an exercise or, well, in this case, it's an exercise. <laughs> That's the same problem that we have on a large scale. And everyone in that class is generally very progressive. We all believe the same things, but we're doing the same things that we're really hating on other people for doing. We're yeah. just doing them in a, a different way. So it's, it's bringing up all of these conversations and talking about how movement and dance can allow us to have these conversations in a different way because we're all doing the same things that are harmful, mm-hmm. no matter what we believe. Yeah, I think for me, there was always a really strange thing to notice, both as a dancer and then also in the world of fitness and personal training. And, you know, dancers, there's this expectation that because you're moving so much in so many different ways that like your body awareness and your physicality are supreme. And to some extent that is true. But like what you mentioned there, um, that like the reflexes, like the, the kind of natural intuitive movement patterns that we should all have as human beings somehow get bypassed. And it's, I think that generates from that performative aspect. When you're, when you come into dance, it actually doesn't become about you. And and that's the education around it is it's so much about parroting other people. So yes, you start expressing a facility, but a lot of it is through the facility of mimicry versus taking a concept, really allowing yourself to get immersed in it and kind of let it let it implant its way into you over time and, and like explore it and engage with it, go deeper with it instead of just that mimicry. And what I always noticed was the people who were the best in the industry, like got jobs, like could book choreo gigs, like one after another. These were people who inherently knew how to assimilate movement patterns, but like integrate them with their authentic selves. So it was not about the mimicry. It was, it was about that energetic process of like really being intentional with movement, um, even in their choreography and their way of expressing. And I just realized we weren't teaching that. We weren't teaching that. And it doesn't get right. taught in fitness either. Everyone's just trying so desperately to move around a lot, <laughs> to accomplish a lot, but no one's really... <laughs> present in it and by not being present in it I think we're like missing the whole point which I I love hearing the deeper inner workings of what movement philosophy is and it's it runs so parallel in so many ways to what I'm working on right now and it, it makes me so excited because even the language you're using the um the words you're choosing and and the parallels you're making with things people can already relate to and, and use that as the basis to change their perspective and really change their relationship to it. It's going to be a big word, I feel. Um, that's that's really profound. And I'm just so excited for you guys. It's 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 like exactly on point being able to to understand that like without movement, you're not living because if you don't take that next breath, you don't have, you know, three minutes and movement like is in breath and it's in walking. It's in our digestion. It's in our lymph. It's in our brain. Like, and the more you move and the more you understand your relationship to movement, the more it just expands your understanding and awareness of everything that's going on around you. More love. I do are. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And 
and the more alive we all are, the more aware we can all be. You know, I think that's a big a fascination of mine with everything that is happening since Trump has been elected is people are waking up. And that is, to me, it's only good. It doesn't mean it's positive, but the, the details, but it's, we have to wake up. We have to become alive. Yeah, we have to. Well, it's, oh, that's interesting. Wow. Okay. So how do you, how you, you, you learn with, um, who is it? Frederick Douglass with, without, without, there is no progress without struggle. And so it, you, we create scenarios where we're going to struggle, where we're going to be confused so that we can practice dealing with that confusion, practice dealing with that difficulty so that when it happens in real life, case in point, as you just brought up, however people feel or don't feel about President Trump being president, or, um, that is a thing that happened. And now how do we respond to that? How does it affect us? How do we move with it? How do we struggle with it? How do we grow? How do we, how do we learn about then what needs to happen? A key thought that comes up for me is um, the idea of response versus react. And I, I notice how in our world we get so like drawn into the reactionary phase that um, we don't know how to formulate responses. And, and that goes on all levels, whether it's with our bodies or in talking to someone or, or dealing with struggle. And, I, and it's interesting that this is such an integral part of the work, like the durability and how to like face on like what's uncomfortable and, and, and really allow yourself to be in it because that's such an essential element to learning how to actually cultivate a response versus simply reacting to resist. And working on our reflexes, look, we can train our reflexes. You know, in, in some regard, I feel like reactions are in a way like very innate and we can work to like subdue our reactions, but we can train what reflexes we want to have, mm-hmm. but we don't often practice that. Oh, I love that. And That's such a great distinction. I'm writing it down. <laughs> and one thing I want to just add is I feel like uh, it's a feeling of hope that comes from like, we're not the only ones doing this mm-hmm. clearly. Like you are having a conversation with us and we've, been, <laughs> and we've been seeing what you've been working on and we've talked in other scenarios mm-hmm. about what we're both working on. And we're, and even us, we're not alone. Like there, there are, there are people around the world that are, like realizing and, and creating strategies and being inspired by each other's strategies and sharing each other's methods of of how do we how do we start working together to make movement an important thing to understand rather than dance becoming simply an entertainment gesture um, and not that you can't get to and enjoy entertainment and it can't be a, a, a fulfilling entity but if movement is only an entertainment sparkle thing, then and it's missing. Even the, even if you're even if you're planning to use it for entertainment, that entertainment is going to be missing so many layers. And it's a it's a myth. It's just a, it's a myth all around. Right. It's it's a shame. You know, it's it, it's it's not a it, it pays no respect to where movement comes from. Is is what that is. Is what that myth does. You know, movements, traditions, movement rituals, ceremonies, like you just mentioned, movement that we're not even conscious of in our brain, in our blood, in our veins. Yeah. The the, the flower needs sun, and there's 
uh, an awning, and so it comes over here. Mm -hmm. Movement, reason, cause, effect. And it all has an effect. This is something we else we talk about a lot is what you do matters it it does something and if it feels like it does nothing that is something in itself mm-hmm. and everything we do affects everything else that happens and i cannot harp <laughs> on it enough you know and so it's it's more like human responsibility to pay attention to how we move right which gets into how questions of movement and dance and performance and lifestyle and you know movement and movement training which then gets into fitness where people are allowed to move even if they don't feel like dancers which is why i respect the work you do so much because that is we need that we need all of this so much and it's a big problem for me when people claim the word dancer or choreographer and they don't consider this Mm. because that is You know, we wonder why people are confused by our field or don't respect us or don't know what we do. Most people don't know what it it means because in what I've seen, a lot of people who claim these titles aren't asking these questions of, of reason and cause and purpose and place in society. You brought up the word service, which is a word that we use as well. And so it's exciting to hear someone else use it. And it's true. I mean, the, the textbook for our classes at Wayne State University is a book from my seminary school uh, education, which is called How Can I Help? And it's a book for those going into service work. Mm. And we, we have to start blending. It doesn't mean that you can't do cool tricks and that you can't entertain. We need people to be entertained also. That's how, that's our segue. Mm-hmm. Or it can be our segue. Not every person is interested in, ha- in nerding out about this right away. Uh, nerding about having a philosophical deconstruction of movement. You, you, not everybody's on. <laughs> and for those that aren't, so entertain them and then be able to talk about the right. purpose. You said entertainment as a hook to... to, to you know, why do people get so hooked on TV series? It's not be- just because like they have a big budget for their TV show. They, they have, they have thought out characters that have relationships that have cause and effect mm. that build tension, that build, that build arc, that build um, hopes, that build anxiety, that like hook you into wanting to see what's next. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's cause it's changing. Yeah. And I think there's also an element with like the world we live in, there's so much instant gratification. Um, and I'm going to use this word in a bigger sense, but like everything is very self-masturbatory in the sense it's all just about feeling good, feeling good, feeling good. Um, and, and people really don't seem to want to like see the full, like all the dimensions, like the full stuff. Um, and that's actually kind of how I felt about dance, especially dance that's exploding right now is it's a little bit more of that masturbatory kind of dance where it's just purely to massage someone's ego and to make someone feel good but is it saying something is it communicating and at the end of the day I think like great tv and great movies that stand the test of time say something you know there are plenty of movies that maybe did really well when they came out but you forget about them five years later. And then there are those ones that are just like become classics. And it's because they spoke to a level of human experience. They invoke 
of thought process. They invoke time to contemplate and really kind of connect with the ideas at play. And, and that was something I didn't see happening really with dance currently, especially the dance that is all over the place. Um, you know, something Martha Graham and Merce Cunningham and, and like all the, the great dance people who were bringing in the modern era did and even those after. But, but then it kind of got lost as it started to become all about individuality. Like find you have to have something special, and then we forgot about the message. I think, and that that's just how yeah. I see it. But um, yeah, yeah, I think that idea about the entertainment entertainment has its place, um, but like true entertainment does something far deeper, and and that's the challenge. Like, how do you mix both? Just like you guys are talking about. Yeah, another thing that I was thinking of when you're talking about this in individual era that we're kind of trying to break out of there's a lot of energy as brian was saying you know that we're not the only ones talking about these things we're not the only ones building systems out of them mm-hmm. and they're not ours <laughs> yeah. you know what we want is for everyone to start doing this start talking about this and i feel that the the era of like really claiming everything as your own and like building a name for yourself it it needs to end we need to collaborate we need to work together we need to build webs and communities and share these ideas and like infiltrate these ideas and that's that's it's slowly happening with as you were saying different people popping up around the world that we see doing very similar, similar stuff to us cuz it's really a return I feel you mentioned earlier that a a lot of times like basic movement body organizations are bypassed in dance training. And so we are out of body. We don't know how to synthesize material and things that we see into ourselves that that isn't practiced and, uh, and needs to be <laughs> yeah, which again like I, I continue in what you said is that it's a return uh it's a return back to one like where we came from when we were born that we, we were synthesizing we were receiving we were figuring out we were for a purpose our purpose was to just to get something to go somewhere uh, to express ourselves i mean just right. to jump in there anytime we've been on an airport often the past couple <laughs> weeks and in and out of airports and i when i hear these babies like screaming at the top of their lungs i feel so close to them i feel so akin to them because what they're expressing so clearly their synthesis of what's going on and what they see and what they feel and it's emoting from them so purely and I, we lose that. And we also lose that from, you know, societal structures. You know, a toddler does that and then it becomes a tantrum, which to some extent, yes, we need to have these structures because we can't, you know, I always imagine if like as adults, we could cry like that in public and it, if it could be like acceptable, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I understand why it can't, you know, we have to have these societal kind of rules of what's appropriate sort of of considerations of yeah how we have how we affect one another which we can take more responsibility of as we have more experience Uh but i feel that that taking responsibility doesn't always 
translate. I think people just get shut off. Uh-huh. They just start following what's appropriate. Because well, it's difficult to take responsibility. It takes a lot of effort yeah. versus it doesn't take as much effort to just like, Blindly. that's bad. Right. Yeah. You're different. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think life is about responsibility and any work you do is about responsibility. Now in our current world of structure and system and corporations, it's really easy to offshoot that and be like, nope, it's the company. Like I'm not, I'm not responsible for what's happening here. And same in like dance, this, this narrative of as a dancer, you're not going to make money. You're lucky to make a little. And that's just how it is. Like to me it was just, it was just a story and it was a really strongly implanted story that was held together by a lot of people believing in it. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I, that always like frustrated me because I was like, that's completely ridiculous. Nobody else thinks that way. I think that that's such a val- valuable point of reference that it actually came up uh, the same concept with the student that we were talking to after class who doesn't really matter having a difficult time. And what it came to is that, you know, things are real based on who participates in them. And that is, we have autonomy. We have a choice of what we want to participate in. And we also can practice that. You know, it's my, so fascinating to me when we start off class with a walking movement meditation, walking improvisation, And people will, one, go the same rate as everybody else and generally start walking in a circle. And we forget that 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 becomes what it is because of everyone's participation in it. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where I was going. The responsibility. Like, we had a responsibility as dancers to earn our worth and to to not settle for less. To like to stand up for what we're making and what it means, but like if you don't know what being a dancer is or what dance means and like how that how that serves people, then yeah, you're going to be really confused about what you're supposed to be earning and what your worth is. Yes, yes. Right. If we're confused about our own worth, then how can people outside of our field be expected to have any consideration for valuing us? Right. Right. Yeah. And I think also this, this is actually why I'm so passionate about making movement an expressive modality that's, that's meant for everybody, because I firmly believed I got to see this in practice in college for my second thesis piece. I actually worked with non-dancers. I worked with male athletes who'd never really danced before. And their ability to then go and watch like the dance pieces that were being rehearsed before they were rehearsing in tech and stuff. It was like a complete shift, like to different people before it was like, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know if it's good. And then by the end of it, they were like, well, that piece, it was interesting, but I didn't like this, you know, they had something to say. And I noticed this with a lot of my friends who weren't involved in dance Personally, they would see shows and they would not feel that they had permission to state what they saw or what they felt. And I think a huge part of that is because if you have not engaged with movement in that way, if you've not if you've not dissipated from the structure and gone into exploration and tried to tap into some creativity with moving your body around, you won't understand the creativity that's being exhibited in a performance. 
of course you're going to feel like you don't have right to talk about it because you've never fundamentally been there. And and if you haven't mm-hmm. related to it, then you're not really going to be able to relate to what's happening on stage either. Oh, which is just such a metaphor for politics. Yeah. We don't do that. We think that we know what someone else is going through when we haven't been over to the other side at all. So then because of the extremes that that people that 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 generally we we turn to by not dealing with the confusion of the in between we don't uh, we don't learn about the situation before we give an opinion or, or or be held by a judgment have a reaction we don't right. take time to cultivate a response right we it's like it's the dirty work of understanding it's dirty work it's hard it's like dirt as in dirt mm-hmm. it's like in the it's very difficult and i think that's why a lot of people don't bother with it yeah which is again why so great that this is happening why <laughs> why wow and, and so important yeah, and hopefully a lot of people hear this hear these podcasts and like can contemplate for themselves how, how are they considering their, how, how are you considering your moving self doesn't mean go out and like learn how to do bot laws and pirouettes and such but how are you moving as you get into your car how are you moving as you pass mrs whomever at the grocery store and how are you moving when you do your bot what is the purpose like find the purpose in whatever you're doing whether it's the classical form of dance whether it's extremely codified as you brought up we need to stop the mimicry and understand why Whatever we're doing, whether it's a, a codified form or, as you were saying, getting in and out of your car. Mm. It's like that power of intention. And it, it doesn't have to be earth shattering, right? To any of the dancers listening, if you're doing a bot my, it doesn't have to be like, this is for social, social justice. <laughs> you know, it can be like, it can be more just like, I want to really feel like what that momentum feels like. What it, What is it? energy of a bot mod like what does it feel like to have that flight of one leg while everything is standing still and strong because that's a very interesting dynamic to play around it it's fucking powerful if you think about it and that that comes into play like you said it's it is your life that comes into play in every other thing that matches that energy so to really honor it watch it feel it like let it be part of you as a for as opposed to just like is my toe by my head yet like never mind like everything else that's going on right and even as you as you said the you know stability mobility that is in such a thing as a bot mod the the effort of of really pushing down in order to fly that like like that is social politics that is socioeconomics <laughs> it, is. it is you know it's yeah. the same principle and i think the more that as dancers movers we can we can understand that it's the same the more we can be of service mm-hmm. and it doesn't as you did say it doesn't mean we have to like walk around with like the weight of the world on our shoulders it's it can be super subtle of just knowing right and how that practice inherently infiltrates the rest of our living. Yeah. And then the intentionality you were talking about. If we believe that a botma is more than a botma, then someone who watches it will also believe that. 
that's how belief works. Mm -hmm. When someone believes something so much, it's inspiring. It makes you want to believe it too. Mm -hmm. That's how religions work. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not different. No, that's so true. Oh my God. I have so many goosebumps right now. (laughs) Um, um, Well, we're, we haven't even gotten to the second question, but I think we got into really good stuff. So I, I am curious now based off of all of this, if you had to define movement or kind of give us an understanding of what that word means to you, what what would you say? What does movement mean to you? I would say change, which I mean, makes me say um, living, you know, which I, I think there's like movement is living, movement is change, change is living. If, if you're a thing that is changing is a thing that is alive or is being affected by a thing that is alive. Um, and we're, we're always changing, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We're all getting older. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are changing every day. Our insides are changing. Hopefully our minds are, are shifting that we don't get stuck. You know, anytime I believe something too much for too long, I like assess it because, you know, there has to be a, a shift, you know, a, a, either a deepening or a broadening or a redirection. It's funny because those are like great places to move from too, right? To just play around with your body, shift, redirect, like, you know, spiral. Like, and I love that you talk about that in reference to thought and you know, feelings and beliefs and, and all of that stuff cerebrally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, oh my goodness. Anyways, I like, I'm trying to think of where I want to dive next, but based off all the good stuff you were talking about. Um, <laughs> well, uh, what would you guys say, and this may be different for you individually, is the greatest gift that movement has given you? There may be many. So if you want to rattle off a few, feel free. I would say obstacle. Any obstacle is that it causes you to have to move or, or be faced with something, which is like an internal movement of feeling stuck. And because I'm here now, because we're all here now, any obstacles that we came up against caused us to move in a, in a, substantial way Mm. and I am (laughs) I always feel like I wouldn't want to relive my life but I'm not I don't regret anything that happened so you embrace that movement and change that happened as a result of every obstacle yeah yeah and I would say the greatest thing movement or I mean, in addition, in addition to, of course, the, the, the tangible things of, I mean, I've traveled a lot of places because of movement and because of dances, dancing and some of the companies that I've been fortunate to work with. But I'd say even greater than those tangible things is um, the, 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 the inspiration to f- continuously find and deal with struggle in order to um, increase in, uh, constantly grow my awareness for where I'm at and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking about and who I'm affecting and what's happening. Um, that, that gift or that, that, that struggle 
that truth um, was given to me from movement and from dancing and from the work that we're doing together. And while it's difficult, it's, it's like we talked about the difficulty. If it wasn't difficult, then there's an issue. If it's not difficult, then it's not being dealt with. And if it's not dis- difficult, we can't learn. That's what really sucks. Because in order to get stronger, get wiser, become more progressive in whatever, wherever we're at, we have to learn a lesson. And to learn a lesson means that we have to have an obstruction or there has to be something to get to learn. Right. And so it, it means that something didn't go as we thought it would. And, and that's part of it. I mean, it, I mean, a clear, a clear example again. Since fitness is a, a thing that keeps coming back up, is like you want to bench one fifty or whatever amount. You're gonna something's gonna be in your way, your strength or lack of strength, or your form or your this and that, and you're gonna struggle, and you're going to eventually grow. And you're going to then take on the next struggle and take it to two hundred or two mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. and it's that continued finding of, of or you can just stay at 150 forever and then then you're not struggling anymore or which is also an option right. which i think is quite beautiful is that we have this life that we know about we know a certain amount about and we can choose what we want to do with it and you there's nothing inherently wrong with not struggling to a certain extent, I think that the one issue that just um, counter counter that thing that I just said is that the only issue is that whenever we, whenever there's a difference between not struggling in terms of becoming satisfied with what we have and where we're at, and still allowing ourselves to be aware of what others are struggling with. And there's another thing that happens when people specifically don't want to struggle. So they block out other people's struggles. And so with our autonomy, we can do any of these things. Um, And we can also like struggle to become something that we never thought we could become. Yeah. Which is what I was talking about. I was just going to clarify maybe for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> the, the idea of struggle not being limited to like a negative connotation, like constantly like whipping, lashing yourself on the back for, for, for being alive and, and like it's, you're awful. But like the struggle of like, I don't know, like when you just said to be at peace with what you're going with, what's going on in your life. And then even the awareness of seeing somebody else's experience Maybe it doesn't feel difficult or hard for you, but the just Confine. yeah, taking taking the time to see somebody else's different experience that's inherently a, a, that takes effort and so uh, synonymous with struggle in in the way that we're using it, mm. effort, mm. Um, engagement. Um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. Mm. Like there's always a belief that struggle and difficulty means pain. And that's not always true. And and also there's a feeling that once you get caught in, I think there's a real fear that it's going to happen forever. Like there's something about it. Again, we're not encountering it enough to understand what it really means and to be okay with it or to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I I've had a really interesting experience this week. Um, 
a long-term relationship partnership I've been in for over three years ended kind of suddenly on Sunday. And I, I knew it was coming. I knew it needed to happen. I knew that things weren't really aligned with where I wanted to be. And I kind of was just waiting for a few reasons. But when it happened, I was so surprised that it wasn't earth shattering. Um, And again, like so much of like my work outside of this relationship was all about diving into the unknown and like being okay with not having all the answers, being okay with flailing, you know, like enjoying the flail a little bit, whether it was with my body or like in business or, or whatever I was starting out. And so when this happened, I was able to just let the emotions come through, like let, and just, there was a beauty there. I was telling a friend today, I'm amazed that after like two days, like in two days of this happening, I actually felt fine. And I thought I was going to be dealing with this for months and I'm sure there'll be deeper layers, but it's like this acceptance and willingness to just allow, allow that flow, allow that energy to move and pass through, allow myself to be in it and not resist it. Because there is difficulty and there are going to be moments of struggle. But again, that resistance to struggle, I think, creates more pain than actually just embracing it, being like, all right, I'm ready. You know, Um, so that was that was like a thought that I had that we have this belief that it has to be painful and excruciating and it's going to last forever. And actually, the second you like are like, yep, I'm ready, like bring it on, like, let's feel this. It's actually, in some ways, really exciting and new and different and and can also be really wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like we, we associate, as you said, we forget about melancholy, this word, I think. And melancholy is just a state that we pass through, that we're designed to pass through, like regardless of anyone's belief in God or not God or universe or cosmos cosmos or yin and yang, there there has to be melancholy. There has, it's cycle, cyclical, it's circuits. There has to be a range. There's up because there's down. Right. And we, it's how we practice and how we learn how to be alive within that range. Mm. that then what kind of dictates what kind of experience we have in life Mm. how to be alive in the range I love that that's a great statement um so do you guys have any final thoughts any like words of wisdom that you would like to leave before we wrap things up today for people who maybe are listening and like all right, like, what do I do now? Like, how do I, how do I actually start utilizing some of these principles? First thing that came to my mind is if, if you're asking yourself that question right now, you're already doing it. Um, <laughs> like, that's, like, that's where you start. And then from there, find different practices for yourself to commit to. Um, when, when what is a practice? Something that you do regularly practice of writing, reading, breathing, meditating, singing, crying, drawing, building houses, building sandcastles, um, just something that you can commit to yourself growing in and, and 
and struggling with the idea of dedicating yourself mm. to a practice. Right, that reminds me of rituals and the importance of rituals and the loss of rituals in our society. And part of the importance of it is you revisit the same action every day or every other day, whatever your system, your schedule is. And you're different because we're changing all the time because we're moving all the time. Because we're alive. Yes. And so <laughs> building these rituals is extremely important, I would say, right. and would, would offer to anyone who doesn't know where to begin. Create one. It, it, research one. You know, it's... It, it can come from anywhere. It doesn't have to mean, you know, if you pull a, a ritual from a certain spiritual belief system or religion, it doesn't have to mean anything more than that. You know, I think sometimes we get caught up or get afraid in, in utilizing all of the information that we have. We have the internet. We have literally endless information of things that we can try out. And I think that we can. Yeah. Well, and like, it can be helpful. Practices are such, it's like a lost art to be, to cultivate a practice and especially to cultivate a lifelong practice because people get so tied up into success and like careers, which I think the sweet spot is when your life's practice is enmeshed in your career and it's of service to others, right? It's like that Japanese principle, and I may be mispronouncing this, ikigai where you find your special talent and you find how to help people using it and you are really good at it and you love it. And then there, then like abundance flows in for you as a result. So it's like the self-sustaining cycle. And um, I just think, like you said, people have lost the art and the ability to be in ritual and and I think practice is a form of ritual. Um, it's something you come back to. It's something you revisit and and you come back to it changed with new information and new perspectives. So um, that's just a really beautiful message to leave everyone with as we finish up here. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this was so much fun. There will definitely be more. Um, <laughs> I, I really am excited about bringing you guys back on in a few months to like explore deeper when you guys have come back as further changed and evolved beings yourselves. Yes. <laughs> um, so where can we find you for anybody who really loved everything you had to share today and wants to be involved in your work, maybe take your classes. Um, where, where do we find you guys? How do we do that? All that jazz. Well, you can always connect with us on all of the socials, of course, uh, Instagram at M-V-M-N-T-P-H-L-S-P-H-Y, Movement Philosophy, um, mm -hmm. or on Facebook at the same tagline. Or, of course, or you can check out our website, www.byra.co, mm. where you can find our email connection on there. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have two intensives coming up, a winter mm -hmm. intensive that we'll be announcing on um, the social worlds very soon, very soon um, January 2 through 5. So this is sort of, I guess, the first official announcement, if you yeah. will. Um, and then our summer intensive next year, 
um, in July, the end of July. Both of those will be at Wayne State University in Detroit. Um, No, no open classes right now. But you can look out for open Um, classes. Yeah, look out for another member of this research party is John Gutierrez. And he's teaching here and there in New York. And he's working very closely with us on developing all of this. Mm. Yeah, you, you can find him either at Mark Morris, um, Perry Dance, or Gibney, of course. Mm. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much. It was so great having you. And yeah, that's a wrap. Yeah. We did it. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to see you again and nice to chat with you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode on this thing called movement. I'm your host, Marie Janicek. And if you're interested in connecting with me directly, you can find me on Facebook under the name Marie Janicek and on Instagram at Marie Janicek. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to leave us a review and make sure to share with your friends and family. In the meantime, I can't wait to connect with you all next week when we bring on our next guest. Until then, make sure to get out there and move.